Come on. Iggy Goff is the president at Realize Wellbeing. She's a speaker, a leader, and the creator of Stellar Workplaces Through Vibrant and Thriving People. I'm excited to have you on. Maggie, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. Well, thanks for having me on. I um, have been in the corporate wellness world for, I think, 15 years now. And um, I came into that um, through my education as a dietitian and had the opportunity to do some really unique work through a variety of different lenses. So first I worked for one of the nation's largest grocers and um, had the opportunity to sit on a committee where they were looking at making health and wellness uh, consumer facing. So this was before the days where we had you know, little clinics and grocery stores, you know, where you could get flu shots and things like that, or dietitians in stores. And a lot of grocers were starting to think about health and wellness um, as a, as a brand for their stores. And so that was really interesting for me right out of the gate. And then that helped me land my next job, which was doing population health and wellness for college students, which I used to always joke was it's always interesting to get um, 18 to 22 year olds to consider their long-term health and well-being. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And that was just neat because universities obviously are great places to try new things and to think about theoretically how you might do something to try it, to test it, measure it. And I got to work alongside some um, industrial and organizational psychology grad students who were, um, who wanted to, you know, take look, take a look at the work we were doing and test it and see how well we were doing it, what we thought we were doing, which we did have statistically significant positive results. So that was really cool. Um, at that point, I did work, interestingly, in this university, both the student wellness and the employee wellness were under one department, which is unique universities and um, so I did a lot of work with the population of the employees as well and then I moved on to a biometric screening company and thought I could do some work helping them to uh, help their clients know what to do with um, the results that they got so like if you're in HR you probably have no idea what a triglyceride is and what it means if 30% of your population is struggling with that. Um, About that time is when I became really disenfranchised actually with the world of corporate wellness. So I started to see what we call outcomes-based models where we um, incent people to get healthy, which really is a disincentive for people who are already unhealthy. So we charge people more for their insurance premiums if they have a higher uh, cholesterol or triglyceride level or metabolic syndrome. And then, you know, we take that money that we've charged the sick people and we use it as incentive to the well people. And then we say, but if you are well, you can work towards this too. Um, And, you know, I actually had the opportunity to put some of those programs into play at businesses 
And it didn't take me long to figure out that that was outside of my values, that I could not be a part of something like that. Um, Because if you go into a manufacturing facility where somebody's making a living wage and you tell them that they're now going to get less of their paycheck and maybe they've struggled with obesity their whole life, um, maybe having been raised in a household with uneducated parents who didn't know any better about how to feed them, um, it didn't seem like something that they were going to solve overnight. And in the meantime, we just now made it harder for them. And in my lens and my value, and even what we know from the research, people will do so much better if you move in to support them versus penalize them. Hmm. And so, and, and honestly, even when you, you can't do that by incentivizing people either. The research actually shows that if you throw money at something, an incentive, an external reward, that it over time will demotivate someone's intrinsic motivation. So um, at that point in time, I made the choice to start my own business um, because I just thought there has to be a better way for us to go about this, um, this work. So that's how I came to start Realized Wellbeing, and it has been a real journey. I've been in business for almost five years, and um, as someone who started uh, his own business, I'm sure you know, like, it's been a day in and day out um, process of learning. No question about that. No question about that. Well, that's a fascinating path. You've been able to see... The, I guess from a philosophical standpoint, a lot of different takes on it, and from a, a distribution standpoint, lots of different ways to, to 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 distribute it. And like I've discovered so often is that when people will will start a new endeavor because they recognize that something is flawed or there's a problem, and that they feel like they can do a better job at it. So I commend you for taking the steps and and and, and making it happen. So, Thanks. so. Is, is it fair to say that you're really that you're working to help people increase that intrinsic motivation to lead help you, happier and healthier lives? Absolutely. So what we do often is we sit with people in their own journey. So when when we go into businesses, we do a lot of listening. We do a lot of paying attention to the things that are happening in an organization, and we then allow that person to deconstruct the systems in their life that are hindering their own well-being. So, you know, ours is not a, you know, we have an algorithm that will work for, you know, 30 to 50% of your people, and we're going to put it in play here. It's a, you know, we will walk alongside with your people, and we will listen to them, and we will help them with their own model of well-being that they will create for their own life, um, which is always how it should be. So this past year, I spoke at the Wellness Council of America at their summit. It was the first time I had ever said this out loud, um, but I stated to the audience that if my husband came to me and said, you know, hey, you know, retention is really important in our marriage and your health is really important for me. Um, so I'm going to tell you, like, give you a checklist of things I'd like for you to do for your health. And then 
Um, if you do, you know, five of the 10 on a regular basis, and if you sign an affidavit and tell me you're not a tobacco user, um, then I'll put a little extra money aside for you. Like, if I told any one of my friends that that was the state of my marriage, <laughs> they would be like, there's a problem, Yikes. right? Like, that's an unhealthy relationship. Right. But that is, that is what corporate wellness sells in America. Most vendors are selling a model in which the employer is dictating for the employee what well-being is and how they will get there. Hmm. And, and that in and of itself, when, when we want to fix other people, is an abusive relationship. And it's no wonder then that employers are really struggling to get their employees to buy into whatever well-being model it is that they have. So we... We refuse to do that <laughs> to people. And 70% of the people who come and sit with us and walk in that journey with us have greatly improved reported well being and not just physical well being, but total well being. Well, I, 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 I have to believe that that's 100% true. So, why, why don't companies do it? Because it's too hard? It's not scalable. Hmm. It's risky, right? I mean, relationships are risky. And you're saying, you know, um, we're, come into my company, invest this time with people, and let them evolve at their own pace. There's, it's, not, it's not a model of business that business owners are used to. So... In other ways, I will help businesses when they're unwilling to move down that that other richer path for their employees is I'll say, well, here are some ways that that you can create some of this autonomy within the relationship for your own employees. Right. Like I've helped companies walk out of those um, more toxic models where they're trying to control people's health outcomes through their own model of well-being. Um mostly because companies are just tired of having to pay really high amounts of um, money to get 30% of their population that was already healthy to log in their numbers to prove that they were healthy, right? Yeah. So what are the key areas that, that, that you're focused on when, when you are helping people and, and you're sitting with them and breaking down or trying to deconstruct some of the systems that they have in place and, and potentially create new ones, uh, create better habits? So we focus a lot of our work on Dr. Brene Brown's teachings of wholehearted living, um, which when you dive into her work, you can see really quickly how so much of the health and wellness industry as it's been like in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s is, is not good. Like it's based on perfectionism. It's based on rigidity and, um, and, and the inherent worth that I am not good enough now, but if I do these things, I will become better right? Versus Brene Brown, who says, um, you're worthy now. And if that's true, how will you treat yourself? So in that way, we invite people to say, it doesn't matter what you have or have not done. How can you begin to um, think more wholly about yourself 
more worthily about yourself right now. So a lot of times people will begin to share with us even the really negative and self-damaging talk that goes on in their own head. Um, and we will, you know, invite them just to, to become aware of that. So we do a lot of work in that regard. We also do a lot of work. Um, we base our work in self-determination theory, which posits that in order for people to change behavior, they need they have three basic psychological needs, autonomy, relatedness, and mastery. And so autonomy is I'm going to move into this change in a way that is meaningful and makes sense for me, right? So, like, we all know that exercise is the change, right? So the autonomy within exercise is not everybody needs to become a runner. Not everybody needs to do yoga or Pilates, right? So I had a, I had a woman once who said to me, I just need to get to a place with, by the way, this like is unworthy thinking. I just need to get to a place where I do all the things I'm supposed to do to be healthy. Mm. And I said to her, can you tell me what are the things that you need to do to be healthy? And her answer was running yoga and become a vegetarian. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because these are the things that were like, <laughs> it's like the elite of healthy yeah. those things. Right. Yeah. And so I said to her, well, you know, what do you enjoy doing? And she said, um, camping, hiking, and I own a farm. Hmm. And I was like, well, how are those things not healthy? Right. right. Like you grow your own food. You do a ton of physical activity if you're hiking. Right. And so there, the autonomy within that is to say, you know, I need movement. That's, that's the same. But how will one person do that versus another? Um, the second is the relatedness piece. You need to be in relationship with people who value the change that you want to make because we have to have social connection. It's just a core need of our humanity. We need a place of belonging and love to be vulnerable to create change. And then the third piece is mastery is we want to become really good at things. Like all of us have this desire if if it's not becoming a runner, but it's, you know, hiking, well, maybe I'm going to start with, I can do five miles to, I have this goal plan that I'm, I'm going to take a backpacking trip. Right. So we, we rest kind of in those two models to help people deconstruct the way that they've been thinking about all of this and to become aware of a new way forward. I think that's really powerful, and uh, yeah, I think that that makes all the sense in the world what what you just shared. So why more people aren't doing that? I, I it's it's too bad that more people aren't, aren't doing that. And all the Brene Brown stuff is so great. I know that just from a from a personal finance standpoint, so many people carry around so much shame and they feel unworthy, um, and that stops them from doing things that, that, that they absolutely can do. And it's the same, it's very similar at least to, to being physically healthy and mentally healthy and all the things that you're working on. So, so I appreciate everything you said. Yeah. And I, I'm sure you see this too, from a financial perspective. I mean, how many people don't enter into the change they need for their financial well-being when they have so much shame around money? Mm -hmm. I mean, for me, I'll be a hundred percent honest and say like, 
you know, when I was first diving into Brene Brown work, like my shame was around money. Right. And I had to really face that as a business owner because you have to be able to confront that to do the work that you need to do. Um, And the other thing too, about shame, there's this overlap that I see in Brene Brown's work in self-determination theory where if relatedness, if being in connection with people is a part of behavior change, but you have shame around that behavior, you then immediately don't have one of the most basic psychological needs for you to enter into that change, which is why when we go into companies and we say to someone who's maybe been obese their whole life, and we also have a ton of science around fat shaming in our society, um, it's no like penalizing somebody is its own version of shaming someone for poor health. Right. So not only are they getting these messages in other places that their poor health deems them less worthy, less likable, less lovable. But now we're saying, so um, when you make that change, we're going to give you some extra money. You know, like we can't, when in reality, what they needed is for somebody to say, Hey, I see you. I hear you. I'm here with you. What can I do to help you make this change? You know, two totally different methods. Yeah. Yeah, I think it it makes all sense in the world. So I think that's excellent. And the more people who can learn about that process and can understand that we need the autonomy, we need the relatedness, we we, 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 we strive for that mastery, that's going to, I think, really benefit a lot of people. So I love it. Well, Maggie, Savage Nation is ready for your difference-making tip. What do you have for them? Okay, so one of the ways that we totally shift thinking from the way that we've known it to be for the past probably 50 years in health and wellness out of this perfectionism model is to say that self-care is an act of celebration that you exist. And the question then becomes, how will you celebrate yourself today? Versus how will you prove you're worthy enough today? Self-care is a celebration that you exist. How will you celebrate yourself today? I think that is great stuff that definitely gets, come on. Come on. And what, what, what an important shift that is, right? So self-care is a celebration that, tell me that again. Self-care is a celebration that you exist. And how will you celebrate yourself today? I love it. Yeah. Well, Maggie, yeah. thank you so much for coming on. Where can Savage Nation learn more about you? Um, I have an Instagram page, which is where I do a lot of my connecting with audiences and actually realize well-being right now is working on a model to move out of corporate wellness and into working directly with individuals. And so that way it doesn't matter if we work with your company or not, that you can begin to directly access us. So on our webpage, thelivewellbeing.com, there's a section for businesses, but there's also a section for people. There's a guidebook that people can purchase and download. It's an ebook that would begin to walk them through this. And then we're building out more to come there. And then um, the second part of that is you can find me personally on Instagram 
at maggie.z.goff. And, um, yeah, I, I love to connect with people there. So they're welcome to do that. Perfect. Well, Savage Nation, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Maggie your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. You can go to realizewellbeing.com. And if you're an employer, that's great. Learn about bringing Maggie's company in. If you're an individual, you can find the resources there as well. And then follow her on Instagram as well. I will list all those in the notes of the show. Thank you again, Maggie. Thank you. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight because we are all in this together. I've been asked by so many people over the past couple of years about how do I start a podcast that I've developed and released a course that will teach you exactly how to do that step by step from figuring out the kind of show that you want to have to understanding how all the technology works behind it and then how to get great guests and uh, keep the thing moving and how to grow it. So if you're interested in that, check it out. You can go to georgegrombacher.com forward slash podcast course and you'll find it there. You can just go to the website. I'll also list that in the notes of the show.